Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Well, good morning. Good to see you all here this morning. Good for me to be here. Really grateful to God for the Central Baptist Church. And uh, not forgetting that the Central Baptist Church is made up of individual members and friends. And uh, thanking God for the giftedness. Isn't it been wonderful this morning being led by this team in worship in song? Grateful to God for you all. Well, we are going to continue this morning in our series in 2 Corinthians. So do turn with me, please, in your Bible. I invite you to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we are this morning going to consider the first 15 verses. We have been in this book now for some months. And uh, trust that we'll continue just learning from what the Spirit had led the Apostle Paul to write to this church. So reading from verse 1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, the abundance of joy and the extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For if I do not, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, whoever gathered little had no lack. Just so far, the reading of God's word. Why don't you bow your heads as we pray. Lord, we acknowledge by bowing our heads that we are those who are in complete dependence on you. Lord, thank you for grace. And, and may we even this morning uh, appreciate afresh, perhaps even some folk here this morning for the first time, the greatness of your grace toward undeserving sinners. And Lord, confessing, even as we've sung this morning, Lord, we can be so uh, distracted and preoccupied with lesser things. And instead, I pray that through your word and by your spirit, 
even through our fellowship, that you indeed would be our vision, that you would captivate our minds, but also our hearts, we pray, to the glory of your name. Amen. Well, we do know that the Apostle Paul was a great missionary, uh, setting out to plant churches in the area of Asia and Europe, as we would call it today. But this is not only the only thing he did, he was also involved in raising funds to help people who were in, well, we could say desperate material need, people who were poor. We see this kind of activity, this kindness described by Paul in his letter to the Romans. He writes in chapter 15, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid, help, to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So we do need to know that the early church at Jerusalem did suffer uh, in difficult circumstances. They were the victim of poverty almost right from the beginning. Uh, the church being established, there was opposition from the local Jewish community, the Jewish population. And also we read in the book of Acts that that particular area was subjected to a famine. And so the appeal for help from wealthier urban centers in Achaia, identified here, like from the church at Corinth, did bring some relief. Something they had, this church at Corinth, had initially responded favorably to the help that was requested. And we read that in chapter 8, verse 10. Who a year ago, you see, they got involved a year ago, starting not only to do this work, but also there was the desire to do it. In 1 Corinthians 16, we find Paul giving instructions on how they were to take, practically how they were to take up the collection for the relief of these poorer people. The contributions would then be available for Paul when he visited them on his doing his rounds, and then he would be able to deliver that he could pass this on to the poorer believers who were subjected to hardship. Now here's the problem. All sounds good up to now. But unfortunately, it seems, not it seems, it was factual, that since the launch of the fund, the Corinthian enthusiasm had waned. It may have been because there had been an anti-Paul faction within the church, and that may have led to the fact that their generosity, their giving toward this particular cause had dried up. But if there'd been a backing and forthing, and, and now there uh, had come news from Titus that the Corinthian support of the apostle was once again in place, and so Paul includes these two chapters, wanting to show again and challenge the Corinthians to renew their participation in sharing with those in need. Now there's huge practical application for us. Us living in South Africa, on the continent of Africa, and us living even in the city of Pretoria, where poverty abounds, not only in our city, but in the rural uh, areas. We have many uh, sister churches that struggle to survive uh, from day to day. So there's, there's a message uh, for us. The two chapters that Paul Rights now that we're going to be dealing with over this next while is regarding what had become what I want to call their tight-fistedness. You know what I mean by that? Tight, tight. 
not wanting to share, not wanting to give to others, a tight-fistedness. And, and these chapters will help us understand, and I trust by God's Spirit, to be challenged in the way that we give to others. This message is not about primarily regular tithing to the church. It is application, but that's not the intention. It addresses the issue, the motivation and the practice of generosity amongst the people of God. And so Paul holds up the churches of Macedonia as an example of generosity and he demonstrates what's going to be my first point this morning. Giving is what Christians do. That's what we do. That's what we do. Now let me try and illustrate. Over the years, my family, we've always had Labrador dogs. Anybody here has a Labrador? You'll understand what I'm saying if you don't believe me. Labrador with food can be likened to a vacuum cleaner. Whatever food is there, whatever food can be found, whatever food is available, a Labrador consumes for itself. I've not seen a skinny Labrador, self-consumed. A Christian should not be like a Labrador. A Christian should be more like a sprinkler at the end of a hose pipe where there is a, a consistent supply of water. You get the difference? The water from a sprinkler nourishes that which is surrounding. It provides uh, the, the, the nurture that is needed. And so, so Paul here wants the Corinthian believers to see something had happened to these members at the Macedonian church that resulted in this, them being unlike Labradors, them being what would be described as unnatural, unexpected, selfless generosity. Verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given amongst the churches of Macedonia. These people had received the grace of God. We need to pause on this point. We need to think about this point because we've got to a stage in the life of evangelical Baptist churches where we allow these words, the grace of God, to roll off our lips and it means very little. Superficial understanding of the grace of God. These people understood the meaning that they were undeserving recipients of the generous kindness of God. The only reason they were believers was because of God's acts of kindness, God being rich in mercy, giving them the gift of salvation. Now again, I'm trying to think, Lord, how do I understand this? How can I demonstrate this? How can I illustrate it? Well, I thought for a moment, imagine, just like the sight, when the sight of a blind man is restored. You've been blind all your life. Imagine that. And, and suddenly something can be done. There's a miracle. There's medical treatment, whatever it is. And, and suddenly you're able to see that person's life will be different. That person will appreciate, will admire the beauty of the world around him. He will notice the, the sky and the stars and, and the mountains and, and the earth and, and, and all the beauty that God has created. And, and it's like the, 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 when a deaf person, a, 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 the, the hearing of a deaf person is distorted. He cannot help. She cannot help but enjoy the song of a bird in the morning. Can't help 
but appreciate and, and respond to the sound of voices. Now, this is the, 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 the point I'm trying to make. When a spiritually dead man or woman is given new life in God, he, she cannot help express evidence. Something happened to me. I show it. I demonstrate it. And the magnitude of the generosity from God, when we speak about grace, the, the, the magnitude of generosity from God towards sinners is such that it far exceeds the capacity of that person. Now, again, I want you to think about an illustration. Think of yourself as having been a dry sponge. Okay, you got that picture in your mind, dry sponge. And you're placed under a stream of water. What happens? Inevitably, with the abundance of water being provided and injected, as it were, into that sponge, water will automatically flow from the sponge. You can put a little bit of water in the sponge and it just keeps sucking it up. And that's what, that's what we are in a natural, uh, unconverted state. We just suck it all up. We, we are self-consuming people, self-interested people. But I tell you, folk, when the grace of God touches your life, and you truly understand the magnificence and the magnitude and the greatness of, of grace, it leaks. It leaks. Jesus made a similar point regarding forgiveness. It's something that's troubled me in ministry down through the years regarding forgiveness of the parable of the unmerciful servant. When he forgives a certain servant a great magnitude of indebtedness to him and he goes and is unable to forgive a lesser infringement, the master says in chapter 18, verse 33, should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Sponge was full to overflowing. And it applies to grace, abundant generosity received from God and any believer results in big-heartedness open-fistedness toward others. And if I could put it in a negative sense, stinginess is evidence that the sponge is dry. Grace is absent. Look at the Macedonian Christians. Second verse. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and the extreme poverty have overflowed, leaking in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, in Macedonia, things are not great. Things are bad. Commentators describe the context in terms of the economy as an exploited economy. In other words, there are few people taking advantage of the many people. We also understand on top of this that the Christians in the city suffered a great deal of persecution. In fact, many of the believers even had their property confiscated. It's not great to live in Macedonia. And yet, this is the, the point Paul is showing, instead of using their lack of resources as an excuse not helping other people, Paul tells of the extraordinary sacrificial nature of giving. But doing so, doing so responsibly, 
not having their arms twisted or their emotions manipulated. Verse 3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the big favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And, and then getting on to the right focus. And, and we are people who, I'll show you just now as a church, there's generosity, and, and I'm trusting that many of you are big-hearted. But with the right focus, this is the important, verse 5, there are lots of everything's important. Not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. First to the Lord. And then by the will of God to us as apostles. You see, instead of the calculated thriftiness of an accountant, they had demonstrated the almost irrational extravagance of a lover. And those of you who've been in love, man, you know how generous we want to be to the one that we love. You see, it wasn't just about money that they were giving. They understood that it was a giving of themselves. Not just the church in Jerusalem they gave to, it was the Lord. Heartfelt giving, dear friends, is not a mechanical activity. There is a warmth of personal consecration to God infused in this act of giving. It was Christ-centered, spiritually motivated, and, and it's this that brought about the extravagance of the generosity and the cheerful willingness of it. Well, since giving is what Christians do, and I hope I've made that point from the passage, Paul goes on now to tell them why he sent Titus to them. Accordingly, having told you about this Macedonian experience, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. In other words, this necessary challenge to the Corinthians after all, after all, since the poor and afflicted Macedonian believers are joyfully involved in this act of grace, should the wealthier Corinthians, should they not also step up onto the plate of generosity? And my second point, stepping up onto the plate of generosity and excel in the grace of giving. Verse seven, as you excel in everything, faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace also. Man, it's wonderful to be part of Central Baptist Church. Come from a service across town, seeing something of the tremendous giftedness and excellence of our worship team, for example. Coming here this morning and participating in worship, again, seeing the excellence of those that lead us. That's great. You ought to excel. We, we must excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, but also in generosity. You see, excellence in God's work, because this is what he's worthy of, is commended. It ought to be in place, but don't be blind to a gaping hole that exposes the state of your heart. What is it? Verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. The point being that because true generosity is the spontaneous expression of love, there's no need for Paul to command them to be given. Instead, 
He wants to seek to prove their genuineness by measuring it by the earnestness of the Macedonians, those who were poor. If I can quote theologian Charles Hodge, he says it, and I'll put it in simple English afterwards, but bear with me. The true test of the genuineness of any inward affection is not so much the character of the feeling as it reveals itself in the consciousness as the course of action which it leads. Many persons regard themselves as truly compassionate, but a judgment founded on their acts would lead to the opposite conclusion. And let me put that in basic English for people like me. Shedding a few tears is not much help unless those tears lead to compassionate action. You can have all the feelings in the world for anything and everything, but it ought to leak back to the expression of the sponge, like the Macedonian believers. No need to drive the Corinthians with a a whip or a stick. Every true believer with a tender heart toward God really can do no other, here's the crux of this passage, can do no other than pursue Christ-likeness. Have a look at verse 9. For you know, central people also as the Corinthians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that by his poverty you might become rich. Now let me try, I can only say a few comments, we could preach a couple of sermons on that one verse, but listen to this. Redemption, your redemption, personally as you sit here believing, confessing you're a believer, redemption for sinners is accomplished by Jesus who has descended, who did descend from the heights of glory to the depths of humiliation. Don't ever forget that. Jesus is no ordinary person. It's God incarnate. Redemption for sinners is accomplished by Jesus, who is the righteous second person of the Trinity, taking on human flesh and dying as a criminal. Do you, do you, get, the, do you get what he's doing here? Richness, poverty. A third comment, redeeming sinners from the curse of the law is accomplished by Jesus, the Holy One. How? Becoming a curse for us. Dear friends, generosity for the believer is more than just following an example. He is an example, but there's much more happening over here. It's the result of the redemption accomplished, applied in the lives of individual men and women and children. It's this redemption that brings about people as new creatures in Christ. It's redemption that brings about the miracle of being made alive in Christ. New creatures where the preoccupation with self-interest is abolished. Where now, new, active, generous concern for others moves into the heart of the recipients of grace. Two practical ways that Paul mentions and then I have a conclusion. So what are the two practical realities that he shares with these Corinthians? Number one, get on with being generous. There's just nothing profound about that. Just do it, do it. The Corinthians had started well, they had the desire to do it, 
says, you had a hiccup along the way. Something got in the way of you. You, you lost your way, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Well, get back onto the way and, and, and participate, participate again. And, and so he says in verse 10, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now, finish doing it as well. So that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. And so folk, them challenged, us challenged, be encouraged, either to get back into the saddle or get onto the saddle of generosity. Get involved in continuing to do what you ought to do, what they were doing, perhaps what you were doing. Be encouraged to give out what you have. And now warning, don't waste time and energy in what I call speculative giving. And I have a story that I've told before, so forgive me if you've heard the story, but I'm going to tell you another day again as well, I guess. It's my favorite story about speculative giving because I've seen much of this in the course of my ministry down through the years. Stories of two little cockney boys who were testing their lifelong devotion to each other. The first little boy said to the other, hey Bobby, if you had a million pounds, would you give me off? Of course I would, he said. What if you had a thousand marbles? I'd give you off of them, he replied. What if you, uh, yeah, what if you had two marbles? Well, that's not fair. You know I've got two marbles. It's easy to say. Maybe students at university. One day when I have a job, I'm going to give generously, whether it be to the church or to those in need. Somebody starting a business. When I start a business and I start making profits, I'm going to give to the church. Parents, teach your children. I've tried to teach my children. You get 10 rand pocket money, you give from that 10 rand. It doesn't matter if you have two marbles or a thousand marbles. You give from what you have, not what you think you may have one day. Verse 12, for, the ready, for if the readiness is there, it is not acceptable to what a person, it is acceptable according to what a person has not according to what he does not have. Second point. Just participate in the compassionate response to needs. And I made this point earlier, there are needs everywhere. But it should not be a one-way street. It's not giving in one direction only. It is true in their context, the present wealthy Christian uh, Corinthians can help with the needs of those in Jerusalem. But the situation could be reversed at some other time. And then the Jerusalem believers ought to have a mind and a heart that shares with the Corinthian believers. Verse 13, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but, you as, a, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, and he goes on to quote from Exodus, whoever gathered much had nothing left, whoever gathered little had no lack. You see, one thing that we see in the desert with God producing the manna in the wilderness, 
supernatural, supernatural aspect of the manna was that you could only, you could not acquire a surplus of it. Whether you collected sensibly what you needed or greedily what you think you're going to need and more than you need, when you got home, everybody found that they had as much as they needed. And so the lesson is God gives enough for everyone, but sometimes we must do some sharing to make sure that nobody goes hungry. Well, let me conclude, and I'm going to conclude with some information about Central. At Central Baptist Church, we teach and we practice regenerate church membership. You can only be a believer at Central or a member of Central when you have experienced the grace of God in your life. I say that because it means that generosity ought, therefore, to be evident among us. And it is, and I'm thankful. It is really, and I want to mention some examples. Some of you, and perhaps this is not broadly known, but there are many in our congregation who faithfully contribute month by month to what is called our benevolent fund. They just do this, free will, generously. We use that money, we use those funds to assist people within our congregation and community in need. Things like, for example, we have a list of people who live under very difficult circumstances, many unable to buy food. And so we produce or we give to them checkers grocery vouchers every month. And it's a tremendous blessing to them. It helps them. I think there are 25 or 26 of those that we give out every month. We also do consider crisis needs. Those who have been recipients of this will know, but I don't want to divulge too much. But we do help people who find themselves in a particular pinch, a real difficulty. And the church has stepped up many instances to help in such cases. In our budget, we have a line item to assist the pastor who ministers in an area where most people in his congregation are unemployed because there's no work in that particular area. 95 or 98% unemployment, and so we try and help. And I'm aware of other members in our church who assist that particular pastor as well. Over the past few years, we've had uh, or we've given consideration and we have given uh, assisting a pastor who in the Eastern Cape has a church in an informal settlement. He can't pay his children's school fees. Now members don't know this, but the leadership of this church pays, gives generously to that family. Many of you over the years have donated to blanket funds, to grocery funds. I want to say something about our elderly person's ministry at Glenhaven. There's a component of that ministry whereby we help people who can't afford to have a roof over their head. According to the means, according to what we have, we help. And I know a number of people who have a roof over their head and one main meal in their stomach every day because of our Good Samaritan ministry at Glenhaven. At Waterkloof or with Waterkloof Baptist some years ago, we started what is called a hidden treasure store. The profits of this ministry donated to orphan care at Bethesda, which is one of the ministries of our church, and also contributes to the Good Samaritan Fund at Glenhaven. You, you don't even have to give money. You can just volunteer and work at, 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 at uh, uh, Hidden Treasures. Four hours a week. 
Or if you've cleaned up your house and you, you think you've got rubbish, one man's rubbish is another man's treasure. Isn't that the, the word? We are able to receive and distribute up to 50,000 rand a month just from hidden treasures to those two ministries. Then, I'm also aware of members in this church who quietly, they don't make a fun fee, quietly, generously help people who are destitute. Thank God for Central Baptist Church. Can we do more? Of course we can do more. We should do more. Remember the sponge? The sponge The sponge is full to overflowing. And as more people come in, more can be done. And, and, and so we glorify God and, and, and we, we, we're on display. Uh, we, we're displaying the, the greatness of, of the grace of God. And so this message this morning, I trust, I trust the Spirit of God to have stirred in our hearts. Your heart, my heart, as a church, as individuals, to greater levels of generosity to those who have less than us as an outflow of God's abundant grace to us. Oh Lord, thank you for your grace. And I do pray that the eyes of our heart would constantly be more and more enlightened Lord, to all, to all that you have done, all that you are, the greatness of who you are, Lord, that you, you were rich, became poor, that we are poor, that might become rich. May we understand the significance and the greatness and, and Lord, how we, we don't deserve any bit of that. May we, Lord, be those who are really um, showing evidence of your grace to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.